Thanks for tuning in today for our Wednesday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we will be continuing our study in the book of Genesis. So let's join Pastor Dave now. Soon your trials will be over. For God sent me before you to preserve life. God is the one that allowed all these things. He allowed all these things to put him in this place, in this position, to save his family from the famine. Verse 6. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not so much you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father and made me a father. And he has. God has done abundantly above all that you can ask or think. It's just one of these things that we look at it and it says, now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord over all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Look what God has done. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Here we see the providence of God. Verse five, you sold me here for God sent me. Verse eight, now it was not you who sent me here, but God. First part, you did this, but it's really God who did this. But guess what? You still did it. You still did it. I want you to go over to Acts chapter two. We'll come back here in a moment. But in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, Peter says the same things in the way of we as human agents, we as God's creation have been created with free will. And guess what? We are responsible for the decisions and choices we make with our free will. Yet God can work through that free will to still accomplish his purposes. That's why he's such an amazing God, as I will be able to show you here in a moment. Okay. But look what he says, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, first sermon ever preached. Right here, starting in verse 22. He's here. He's preaching to all these people. And it says in verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, and you yourselves also know. Meaning, it's irrefutable. You can't refute this. This is what Jesus did. He did miracles. He did signs. He did wonders. He did amazing healings. You all saw it. We know this. Verse 23, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. It was God's purpose. He knew it was going to happen. But just because it was his purpose and he knew it was going to happen doesn't mean he caused it. Because look what it says after that. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Yes, God's plan for Jesus to die for the sin of mankind was determined before even creation even began. It was from his foreknowledge. But just because God knew it doesn't mean God caused it. And who does he hold responsible? Them. Your choice, your decision. Just like here with Joseph. 
Guess what? You guys did this. Your choice, your decision, but guess what? It was God's purpose. He knew it was going to happen. Even though he didn't cause it, he's able to still use it for this purpose, for me to save the family. How great and mighty and awesome is our God that he does that. I love that. I love this. God still used the pain to bring about his purpose to preserve the lives of the whole family. But guess what? They're still responsible for their actions, even though it accomplished God's purpose. This is how a loving God expresses his sovereignty. By allowing his created beings to use their free will and yet is still able to accomplish his purposes. In God's sovereignty, he created humanity to have free will. There are those who seem to believe that for God to be sovereign, humanity cannot have free will. And this view presumes that the infinite and all-powerful God is somehow incapable of maintaining a sovereignty over the free will of his humanity. Calvinists believe this, okay? To Calvinists, sovereignty means God does everything. It means foreordination or his decree, meaning if he knows it, it's because he decreed it and he causes it. In this slide here, Calvinism, God knows the future because God determines or causes the future. A.W. Pink says, God foreknows what will be because he has decreed what shall be. John Calvin said, God foreknew what the end of man was to be because he has so ordained or decreed it. R.C. Sproul says, what all Calvinism leads to, if you believe what Calvinism believes, is that foreknowledge means foreordination of God decreeing something to be. What he's saying there is because God knows it, it's because he causes it. Now understand where this leads, he says. This leads to everything that man has ever done has been decreed by God. Every murder, every theft, every... If you don't believe me, R.C. Sproul also says, God's will, God wills all things to come to pass. God desired for man to fall into sin... I am not accusing God of sinning. I am suggesting that God created sin. You just have to understand where this leads to, this kind of thinking. Well, if God created sin, then he's the author and cause of sin. Sproul doesn't really explain that. He just kind of leaves it there. I want you to know something. In God's word, he makes it very clear that he knows everything. In 1 John 3.20, it tells us God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Psalm 147.5, great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. There's nothing he doesn't know and there isn't anything he doesn't understand. But knowing all things does not mean causing all things. Pastor and professor of theology, Leighton Flowers, says this. I, I have it up here. We, we need to be able to see this. It's, a, I think, a very, very brilliant encapsulation of who God is. But he says, suppose you went for a walk in your local park, and you happen upon an elderly man playing a game of chess all by himself. You stop and ask him, and why is he playing both sides of the chessboard? And he says, it's the only way I know how to guarantee my victory. Okay. You continue on your way to find another elderly man playing chess with an actual opponent, followed by a line of challengers as far as the eye can see. 
One by one, they are defeated soundly without much effort due to the wisdom and the abilities of this elderly chess master. Which one are you going to go home and talk about? That's huge. That's huge. Which one is really greater and more praiseworthy? God is God. He can do whatever he wants. And if he indeed causes all things to happen, he is still great. He is still powerful. I'm not 100% if he's praiseworthy. I'm not 100% sure he's praiseworthy. Should the sovereignty of God be interpreted, understood as out of necessity that God has played both sides of the chessboard in order to bring about his will? Or as I believe, can it be that God is so amazing, so powerful, so wise, so intelligent, so all-knowing, so infinite in his ability that he can overcome and work through all of our free choices in order to accomplish his will? I believe that speaks greater of his greatness, and I believe that's what really makes him such an amazing, praiseworthy God. I just... It just seems to be the case. I truly believe this is the case. I truly believe this is what God teaches about himself in his word. And this is what God's word teaches us here in Joseph's life. That we are responsible for our choices. And yet God can use our choices to still bring about his purposes. That is truly amazing. Truly amazing. That's what you want to go back and talk about. That's what you want to share with other people. It's not this fatalistic determina- uh, fatalistic determination of, well, you didn't really have much choice. Yeah, God kind of forced you to do that, and God kind of made this happen, and God kind of did that. You really don't have say in the matter. Well, that's really exciting news to share with people. But to be able to say, no, he's created with free choice, free will, and yet God is still loving you through every choice that you make to be able to bring about his purpose. That is an amazing God. That's a God that will get my praise. That is a God that is awesome. And that's the God I want to share with people. That's who I want to share with people. He's an amazing God. And this is how he shows himself. And Joseph understands that. Peter understood that. When he said, yeah, God determined this. This is part of his foreknowledge, but you crucified. You're responsible. You're responsible. You can't be responsible for something that you had no choice in. You can't. You can't. So, going here, verse 9. Hurry, go up to my father and say to him, thus says your, God, says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord. God did. God made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. Again, Joseph sees God's hand in all of this, of everything, that the amazing God is worth praising here. Okay? We as believers, we have our free will. We have our choices. But yet at the same time, God's providence, God's purpose is still going to be worked out. And he is working through those choices to bring about his will. And if we see that... This is one of the reasons why we should be forgiving to others. This is another way of looking at where Jesus says, hey, you know what? If God forgave you, shouldn't you forgive others? He tells us if you cannot forgive others, he can't forgive you. 
Now he's saying to those who already believe in him. So this isn't a salvation. Your salvation is taken care of. You've, you, you've received Jesus. He's forgiven you of your sins. Salvation taken care of. But as you move forward, you're going to hinder what God wants to do in your life by being unforgiving to others. Because then he can't forgive you. And if he can't forgive you as a believer, then what is happening here is that you're still in your sin as a believer. And guess what? That's going to hinder what God has called you to do. And you're going to stuck and you're going to be bitter and you're going to be a bitter Christian. Okay. You're going to be an unfruitful Christian. You're going to be an, a carnal Christian, still a Christian. You're saved. But all those rewards that he has for you, that he wants to be able to bring your way are going away one by one as you continue in your bitterness and everything else. You'll get there because it's because of his work that he does, not what you've done but you're hindering his work that he wants to do in your life. Shouldn't be that way. Another way to look at it is what we're looking at right here, okay? If God is able to work through all the decisions that people are doing in order to bring about his purpose in your life, then the cruddy, cruddy, cruddy situation you're in right now, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to look at it and say, but God has allowed it. To do what? To somehow accomplish his purpose. So even though that cruddy situation might be because of a certain person, they're responsible for it, but God has allowed for it. And if he has allowed for it, then how can you be bitter and angry towards them? Instead, you need to be looking at God's allowed it to happen. I'm I'm mentoring a couple guys right now. We're going through a thing called Tale of Three Kings. It's in a great great book on servanthood and things like that. But David was raised under who? King Saul. And who was King Saul? Not the most godly man in the world. Was constantly throwing spears at David. Did David ever pick up a spear and throw it back? He did not. What we just went over is the fact that what was God trying to do? He was trying to get the King Saul out of David by using a very abusive king which he was under. That's what God does in all of our situation. That situation is there to change you. And yet that person who might be abusing or whatever that put you in that situation or whatever, guess what? They're still responsible for their actions, but God allowed it because his purpose, he's going to use that to accomplish his purpose in your life. And when you see that, you begin to see that individual differently and you feel sorry for them. You might pity them. You begin to pray for them, but God is going to use it for his glory. Amen. Romans eight twenty eight. This is why Paul says this. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things. All things means all things. It was a good thing that that we had a flood. Don't know how. It was. We were able to kind of like get back in here because somebody that night needed to hear about Jesus. I praise God for it. All things. All things. And it's still working its way out. Verse 10. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near to me. You and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have, there I will provide for you, lest you and your household, all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. Still five more years coming. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is that is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt. And of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them, and after that his brothers talked with him. 
True reconciliation has taken place here. True reconciliation has happened. I want you to go over here to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, starting here in verse 8, we read this, But God demonstrated his own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. We have been reconciled. Through Christ, what he has done, you now can stand in peace before God. No judgment coming your way now because you have received Christ. You have been reconciled. Everything is good. Everything is good. Now, go over here to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to the right. Because we have been reconciled with Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 18 Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And now that we're reconciled, guess what? And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now that we have been reconciled, guess what your ministry is? Every single person here, this is your ministry. The ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation, that is, that God was in Christ, reconciled the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, has committed to us the word of reconciliation, so that now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As through God we're pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's our ministry. Your ministry is wherever your sphere of influence is. In your family, that's your ministry. You're going to show them that you've been reconciled to Christ. You're praying for them. You're waiting for the open door when they ask you what Christ has done for you. I've been now reconciled to God, and he wants you to be reconciled to God as well. Your sphere of influence, your family, the place that you work, your neighborhood, whoever you're constantly around, that is who you are an ambassador to Christ for is that person. And because we have been reconciled, we now have this ministry to be a light and a witness to show them as ambassadors of Christ that they too can be reconciled to God through the person of Jesus Christ. That is everybody's ministry. Going back here to Genesis, verse 16. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So please Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. You will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded to do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Those carts would be the moving vans of today. All right. And so go ahead and bring those back and then bring your wives and children, all your stuff. But he says in verse 20, but do not be concerned about your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt before you. Look, don't be concerned about bringing everything because whatever you leave behind, guess what? We have it here in Egypt and it's in more abundance. 
is what he's telling them. Verse 21, then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh. He gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things, 10 donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away and they departed. And he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. And what he means by that, he says, make sure that despite all the goodwill that I poured out to you, that some sort of quarreling or resentment could easily return on that long journey home towards your brother Benjamin and things like that. And so he warns them not to fall prey to that blame game. You were the one who, uh, you were the one who hated him more. You know, things like that wouldn't be said to one another. It was your fault. And Reuben being on, I'm the one that said, don't do that. You know, all that stuff could be coming up. He says, forget about it. Let's move on. Verse 25, they went up out of Egypt, came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father. And they told him saying, Joseph is still alive. How do you think he responded to that? What? Joseph is still alive and he is governor over the land of Egypt. What? And Jacob's heart stood still. He's trying to process this because he did not believe him. He saw his coat ripped to shreds in blood. Now we're not given the rest of the information here of what was said. But you're kind of wondering if the brother said, yeah, about that. (laughs) You know, we're not told, but that had to have been expressed to him somewhere along the line here. And especially when he gets back into Joseph's presence, the whole truth had to have come out. But right now he's having a hard time. He doesn't believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts, which Joseph has sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Jacob, 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 Jacob. And then, what do we have next? Then Israel said, what? Israel means governed by God. Some faith happens here. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go and see him before I die. Wow. He did not believe them. You know, I see a a testimony of faith comes from Israel, and that will always come from Israel, never from Jacob. When Jacob was in charge, we saw his whining, self-pitying, complaining, unbelieving type of man. Why has this befallen me? You know, but Israel, the man God conquered, governed by God is what that means. His testimony is different. His testimony is one of belief. And It's when he began to see the blessings there that he believed. I would submit to you that when you're being governed by God, your testimony is going to be seen. It's going to be different. And they're going to see the blessings of Jesus in your life. When you're governed by God, they see the blessing of faith. They see the blessing of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness being dispensed by you. They see the hope of your salvation even when times are tough. They see those blessings in your life and they would see Jesus. Let's pray. 
That's all we have time for today on this Wednesday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Tune in tomorrow as we continue our study in Genesis. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings, and on Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service, and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our young adults ministry, Arise, meets every Friday evening at 6.30 p.m. at the church. Child care is offered for all our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. Thank you again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God.